Happy Pentecost Sunday, everybody. Someone's like, oh, okay, it's Pentecost. Yes, for the church calendar. My name is Josh. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Elm City Vineyard. Grateful that you're here with us. So when we think about Pentecost, there's something that's like kind of a dirty little secret, which is it didn't happen out of any context, no context. It happened through waiting. Waiting. That's what we're going to talk about today. And I wonder as you come in, what's your story of waiting that you have? Maybe it's from the past. Maybe it's something you're presently walking in. What is your story of waiting? I happen to kind of collect stories about waiting because that's what a lot of life is. Long waiting, slow waiting, waiting where we have breaks. One of my favorite stories of waiting is one that involves uh, the vineyard, the vineyard church. Um, it's from kind of the origin story days of the movement. A man named John Wimber, who's now passed, he was uh, in a place of desperation, in a place of hunger for community, to be with other people who would actually be singing not just about God, but be singing to God. And he found that community. And then something kind of dangerous happened. As he was in that community, he wondered, well, this experience of worship is real. What if it's all real? And what he meant was the things that Jesus does, how Jesus walks around and heals people in the story of the Gospels. He frees people from evil spirits. He's on the move with power. And as John Wimber looked at his own experience with Christianity, even his own church, he realized that's not what we have. And he started to wonder, is this actually for right now? Is this experience of God's power through especially physical healing for right now? And he felt like there was an invitation from the Lord that the answer was yes. And so he started to pray for people, sick people, people he didn't know were sick, people that came up to him at church. He just said, can I just pray for you for healing? And month after month after month, nothing got better. You can almost think about this kind of like, He's a jazz musician, so I think about like, you know, just running around, like trying to pray for people or like trying to have hope that this something would happen and nothing for months. And actually things didn't get better for people. They actually got worse for people who were physically sick. There's weird stories of like the people praying got sick as well. They're like, wait, now when I try to step out and like do something, I'm getting sick. I don't want to do this. And John Wimber was incredibly frustrated, incredibly frustrated. And one day someone called him, again, at this point, he became known as sort of like the healing guy. So someone's like, hey, like, you know, my wife has like a sickness. Can you come through? He's like, ugh, like, why did I do this? He describes in his memoir, like, just going really frustrated. And then he went, he prayed what he called a faithless prayer. And then, hey, I feel better. Thanks so much. Do y'all want coffee? Like, just like, like that. It's like, kind of like a story in scripture, if you know, like, hey, now what do you guys want? You know, there's a story with Jesus and Peter's mother-in-law like that. And something changed, and he realized that this thing that he had been waiting for, a thing that he had failed in month after month after month, was now a part of his life. Now, maybe that would have been enough, but on the way back to his house, he had to pull over his car because something overpowering was happening. He had this sense that God was speaking to him through this vision. It was actually a vision in the sky. Again, this is all pretty weird. And the vision was of honeycomb, and honey was dripping down like on the cars, on the road, Weird stuff. And the sense was this honey is mercy, and this mercy is healing, and this healing is for the church. Like, go. Like, bring it. Continue. So he had waited for so long, and then all of a sudden there was this breakthrough moment, and 
as he did that, more and more people got healed. And the vineyard kind of became known as a, this place where healing happened and people came to experience God's healing. Long waiting, weird waiting, waiting with some breaks, and then a breakthrough. That story is important to me because I feel like it's a story that we pass down. It's a story that I've thought about a lot in terms of waiting, but waiting to the point of failure. You're not just taking time, like you're failing. Like it's not working. Your risks aren't paying off. And that story is also important for me because of some things personally in my own life and in my own family. Some of you know that just uh, about two years ago now, Tina was really struggling with her own voice. She actually didn't have one. And uh, there was a condition that she had where they said, you're going to have to get surgery. There was a surgery. We were hopeful that it could fix things. But also it's a surgery that's known to cause like, some vocal damage potentially. And some people uh, have like, lost their voice or their singing voice through it, even though things have gotten better over time. If you know Julie Andrews from Sound of Music, this is a person that had like, a similar kind of vocal surgery and lost their singing voice. So we were not excited about this prognosis, right, of this plan of action. And it was people here at this church, no one organized them, I didn't organize them, maybe I should have, I, did, I didn't, that were just on the worship team that said, we're going to pray for Tina at the end of every uh, service. And they did. Tina would be up here playing the instruments, not singing, and they prayed for her. And nothing seemed to get better. I'm not sure if things were necessarily getting worse. But it was painful for her. It was painful for me to see as her husband. Um, I remember there were times where the kids were asking, can you sing? Like, can you sing like Moana? Like, how far I'll go? And most of the time she said, no, I can't. And the kids were you know, crying. They looked to me. They looked back at Tina. You know, <laughs> that, the, let's just not do that. And then sometimes Tina would try. And it would sound so bad, like her voice was hurting. It's not bad because it sounded bad vocally, but like her voice was just really struggling. And then uh, we went to uh, a conference at the Vineyard, and there were a few people that prayed for her. Jordan Sang, some of you know, who's been a part of um, our church and part of kind of the spiritual lineage, uh, was involved in planting a church that we planted out of. Um, and then a guy named... Uh, Bob Ekblad, who does work uh, with justice and migrant farm workers. And they prayed, and Tina said something weird, like it almost felt like something in her vocal cords like kind of disintegrated when they prayed for her. And then one week she said, can, can I have a mic? And the worship team was like, no, you cannot. But because it's Tina, they let her have one eventually. And she started to sing and she felt okay. The next week she was doing a checkup with the doctor. And they said, you're sounding better. What we see is better. I think like you're okay. Then she came in, I think maybe a few months later, for like a checkup that was supposed to be post-surgery, but they just kept it. And they were like, this weird thing is happening. It's like you had surgery. Like we see like where the cuts would be, but like you did, obviously didn't have it. Like you're fine. Like you don't have to come back in. Healing after waiting and waiting and waiting. Now that story isn't always the story that we have. Like in our community, there's different stories, but there's still stories of waiting and waiting with a kind of faithfulness or expectation or hope, which makes things hard for us, but it also makes things beautiful, that we can hope for something in our waiting. I wonder if there's something that you're waiting for. Maybe it's even been that you've been waiting for like years. I'm not gonna have you identify yourself, but think about that. Because I think sometimes we think that it's just a little bit of time we don't know if we all went around. There's actually aches and pains that are from years of waiting, sometimes without even sharing what we're waiting for.
but God is in the waiting. That's the message for today. God is in the waiting, and there's power in the waiting. Scripture says this. I'm going to go back a little bit. Uh, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. There's so many scriptures like this in the Bible. And that be strong might be like, oh, like how do you be strong in the waiting? Like the waiting's hard. But there's other uh, testimonies of waiting. Psalm, uh, oops, this is in Isaiah 40, 13, I think, or 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. It's not just that we wait for the Lord and we are strong. It actually seems like waiting for the Lord makes us strong somehow. It renews strength that we have inside of us. So there's this invitation that waiting involves power, that waiting involves a kind of transformation, that waiting involves the story that we're telling ourselves to be different, all because of a promise that's in waiting. Today we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about waiting seasons we're in, Sabbath habits we can have, where we can actually have intentional habits where God gives power to our waiting and our ceasing. And lastly, just the power of pausing. Season, Sabbath, pausing. And invitations that God has for us in each one. Things that can take a long time, things that we can see and practice even every week, and then things that are maybe as close to us as our breath is. We have to have some courage to enter in. I'm going to pray for us, and we'll get started. Holy Spirit, on this Pentecost Sunday, would you come? Would you come with your power? Holy Spirit, would you come and have your way? We are hungry people, and we're looking to feast. We're also looking for a new story that's better than the one that we can bring in sometimes. Lord, would you give us that new story? Would you make us hungry for your work? And God, if that involves waiting, would you have us not despise it, but welcome it because of the power that can come as we wait for you? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll start today looking at waiting seasons, seasons that we're in that involve waiting. This is where we'll read the setup for the story for this act of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming down that's in the book of Acts. And that's connected to Jesus' resurrection. You know, as you know, uh, the resurrection involved waiting. This was not an instant resurrection. Didn't happen right away. It took some time. It took a beat. And one of the questions we've asked in this series, Resurrected Lives, is if Jesus needed three days to be raised, how much more will we need some time to experience God's power to be raised up? to be raised up with hope, especially around difficult things going on in our lives, some of the things that we've talked about even in this past series, whether it is money or sex or power, whether it's thinking about our power over shame and condemnation, our ability to seek joy and freedom, we know that we need something from God. We need something from God here. Resurrection took some time. What might ours take? There is waiting after Jesus was killed, and the resurrection can help us redefine what waiting is for, what it can be for. It's more than just time for prolonged bitterness 
or prolonged disappointment. It can be waiting with hopeful expectation about what is to come. It can be a time of waiting for God's movement or God's power. And after Jesus died, after Jesus was resurrected even, the disciples had one opportunity to wait even more, even longer. This is from Acts 1, the start of the book. This is Luke writing, one of the uh, folks taking in the account. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over the course of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going up, and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You see what the disciples are focused on in the end. They're like, we've been told to follow Jesus. We've been told to follow Jesus. Jesus, he's going up. He's going up. He's going up. I can't see him. Is that a bird or is it Jesus? Is it a balloon? It's Jesus. And then the angels have to be like, y'all, there's something else to focus on right now. What Jesus told you. That would start the challenges of following Jesus without seeing him. That book began then. The invitation is to wait. But it's not just wait anywhere. It's wait in a city, if you know the city, right? The city where Jesus was killed. The city that represents so much religious power, the same religious power that had a hand in making them so afraid and killing their savior, tempting them to betray Jesus. Remember, we talked about this during Lent. Walking towards Jerusalem meant walking towards persecution. And that's the place where Jesus told them to wait to wait in the vulnerability of that, in the muck, in the place that represented tragedy, that represented you at your weakest, where your very savior was killed, the place where you betrayed him, or you let one of your friends betray him. Wait in a place that has this phenomenal miracle occur that's so amazing, and that guy, the miracle was all about, he just went into the sky. So wait back in that city, wait. It's a little bit of a vulnerable and scary invitation, right? And you see what their first question is after learning that their instructions were to wait in Jerusalem. They say, um, so, uh, Lord, is this the time where you want to restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they're wondering, like, are we here to, like, you know, battle? Or, like, is this, like, when things are, like, are done, are we, you know, done with oppression? With this religious power, are we done with oppression in Rome? Maybe that's why they're waiting for this big victory, Nope. They're waiting for something else, for the Holy Spirit to come, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
Notice there's no like number of days. There's no like more specific instruction. These folk would know baptism as like a, a baptism of water, a baptism of forgiveness, but I don't think they really know this baptism of the Holy Spirit. So like I'm waiting for something I don't really know. It involves a word that is kind of weird, baptism. I don't know how many days, and I'm waiting in a city where my leader just got killed like a few days ago. And like we're kind of people that people know of, part of his like ragtag crew. Wait there. Sometimes I think we feel like we have invitations to wait and we create uh, spaces of comfort. Okay, I'll get that Airbnb, like I'll get my Netflix subscription, I can wait there. But someone's like, no, wait with your enemies, like right outside. That becomes a little bit more vulnerable, right? That's more of what's going on in the text today. I kind of caught that this time. I was like, oh, they're not just waiting like comfortably. They're waiting like with the threat of their lives, like right there. They're waiting for a power not of this world. How does that thought interact with maybe something you've been waiting for? Maybe a season of waiting you're in right now. And I wonder if there are some ways that God wants you to retell a story. Maybe it's a place where you're waiting, afraid of a looming threat. Maybe you're waiting, longing to take over your greatest enemy. So there's fear and there's vengeance. Are you waiting like that? What if instead you were waiting for God's power to fill you, to fill others, to fill everyone? And what if that changes your situation somehow? You're not waiting threatened primarily. You're not waiting with glee that you could be victorious primarily, but you're waiting for this infilling that you actually hope can come not just to you, but to others. God brings power to our waiting. This power right now, I think, is through a new story, but God brings power to our waiting, even long seasons of it. Stories of death can become stories of life. Stories of waiting with bitterness can become stories of waiting with reality, yes, but also expectancy and hope. What is your story of waiting, and how does the power of the resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit coming, how does that change your story, even if it's only possibility right now, even if it's only a better thought than what you carried into this church, even if it's only just some hope that maybe it could go differently? Is that what you're bringing? This weekend uh, was my 15th year college reunion. It was odd for so many different reasons. Not only the passing of time, how did that happen? But it made me really remember something and like own something deeper because I, I've had my own story of waiting. Again, we all do. And one of those stories was uh, involved being bullied in where I grew up in, uh, in Iowa, for a lot of things, but mostly because I was black. And it lasted around 12 years second grade to 12th grade. And so as I saw these friends, as I saw this community, as I saw people around me, I was like, wait, God did something in that time. Like people don't know, and I think they kind of came to a deeper awareness even this weekend, like God used people as messengers, as angels, as just people of ordinary kindness that made such a difference to me. Because I came in so wounded, I came in so hurt, and I had been waiting so long. My parents did like this amazing job giving me a story and a context for that waiting. 
they were like, hey, Josh, there's like, you know, stories in the Bible, you know, stories where people were enslaved for this long, stories where these people were dejected or are hurt by their brothers, stories that are real and real hist in, in history that I could think back to just even in the last 100 years where people were, were waiting for something. And my parents like read me those stories alongside my own story. And I had hope. And honestly, year after year, nothing really changed. And I kind of had my sense of, maybe in junior high. Nope. Maybe in high school. Nope. And it, it actually just kind of got different and honestly worse in some ways, but that's a different story for uh, another day. But the whole time they were trying to give me this story of there's something else than this. There's another story that's both a story of scripture, a story of recent history, and Josh, eventually your story that will change. And as I was back in this reunion seeing these folk, I was like, wait, you're part of a story, like a healing story for me. This long season of waiting actually did come to an end. And now I get that story as part of my journey, a story of God's faithfulness to me in a time that was extremely hard, a story of people who don't even know they're part of my story or that they're uh, being sent by God, helping and serving and caring. Stories that were stories of healing. God met me in the waiting, but also God's still telling me through new stories that he's offering to me right now of how much he was present in tough times, how much God was looking out for me. And the cool thing is I think some people realize that a little bit more. They're like, wait, that was crazy that that was your story and then now you're here doing what you're doing in New Haven. It's almost like people were doing things, just again, ordinary kindness that impacts my ability to show up even right here with you. Sometimes we don't know we can be a part of one another's story like that. But that's what happens when we decide to wait and to wait well, to be open to what God can do, whether it's in your story or someone else's. The ability to wait well, it's more than just something that's always gonna be far off or always gonna be hard for us to do. The ability to wait in the power of the Holy Spirit in light of the resurrection. That's actually possible, but I think it is a Holy Spirit reality. It's possible through the Holy Spirit. This help makes waiting seasons possible, survivable, like actually something we can stick around for. We have to be okay narrating reality. This isn't living in fantasy. We have to be okay narrating stories of sadness, anxiety, depression, despair but also to let that second story of the hope of resurrection cover us, like keep us. And those are things that might feel more like hope or assurance or faith. They do cover us. It's a vulnerable covering, but they do cover us. And we can receive them as a gift. But more than just an overarching story that can give us hope, there's also habits that God gives us, habits of waiting. I'm going to call them Sabbath habits today habits of waiting. So there's a story of waiting that we can get, a new story, but there's also practical habits we can have. There's one habit that's a practice of ceasing called the Sabbath, a weekly rhythm where we give up work to play, to pray, and to pause. This features a lot in the story of God. It's a Sabbath weekend where Jesus was raised. The Sabbath, the celebration of rest, becomes a site of resistance for God's people, the Israelites, as they came from enslavement and say, you know what's still important to us? Rest, because we aren't slaves anymore. We're going to rest. Even the creation story has the Sabbath embedded in it. 
So thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. Because on, on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. In Exodus, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day, it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and consecrated it. We see there's seasons of waiting, but also habits of waiting, these Sabbath habits. And you might wonder, what does it have to do with waiting or with power? But waiting involves resting. I'm going to say it again. Waiting involves resting. When we fill our waiting with work, it's not waiting. This is working our job, yeah, but it's also the work of anxious thoughts, of toil, of doom scrolling, of mindless consumption. We need a time that's rest from that in order for us to recognize the work that God is doing in us. We work six days, God works six days. We rest the seventh day. God's work is to show us how he's been working throughout the whole week in us. His work is to tell us what has been going on in our lives on that day of more consecrated rest. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's really hard to be in touch with how I'm doing, how I'm feeling as I'm working. Specifically, not just my working in my vocation, but working knowing those anxious thoughts, those worries, those, am I going to get it done right or in time or do enough or piling up? It's really hard for me to rest when that's my internal narrative. I don't know about you. God brings power to our ceasing. What has been, what's God been doing in you? Do you know? Have you ceased from some things so you can be present? To that question, some of you are lurking like, uh-oh, like, I don't know. It's okay. You know, there's time. There's a lot of time, actually, if you make it. Could you think about as you wait, what does resurrection look like for you? Do you know right now where you're becoming more alive? Do you know right now where you're letting death in? Or maybe where death is threatening you. You're like, I'm not letting it in, but it's close. Do you know if you're becoming more hopeful? Are you present to sadness? Are you developing new desires? Are you moving towards something or someone? God is at work. Do you see that? And have you ceased from enough to see that even more clearly? This work is not only a weekly Sabbath of pray, play, and pray. It can bring a reflection for the week. I found that God works overtime during these weekly reflection times to unpack even more that's going on in our lives. That it's been powerful to see how season by season where I am, given this time of just slowing and ceasing. And I wonder for us if we wait with this kind of intention. This isn't like I'm at the traffic stop some of the really annoying traffic stops in New Haven, and I just have a little bit more time, so I will wait and maybe have a thought or two. It's not that kind of waiting. This is the, I chose to not use my car and walk, 
even when it's hot, like New Haven hot in the summer, type of waiting. Like it feels foolish. But when you're at minute 37 on foot and something becomes opened up to you, you start to have a strong feeling of emotion or desire, you realize you couldn't have perceived that in the same way as you yell at a pedestrian on Whaley. Or maybe a pedestrian yells at you. You know, I'm not sure if you've had these experiences. Like, not that it can't happen while walking, but my odds get a lot better when I'm walking. Are you taking those kinds of choices to be present just a little bit more? Waiting with expectancy, waiting for power. All of it's easier when we have these intentional habits like the Sabbath. I think about living alongside this empty riverbed. You know, it rains on everyone, but when you build out a riverbed, you can actually see the water fill up. You can notice its flow. You can enjoy it because you've carved out some space and collected a few things. It's always going to rain, but are you going to notice it? So do you Sabbath? Is your Sabbath filled with anxious toil, or does your Sabbath let you breathe? Does it let you remember? Does it let you relax? Does it let you rest? This Sabbath, this habit of ceasing and waiting for God to visit us is part of how we are recreated, created anew. And this is the work of transformation. I believe when we wait like that, we actually step into transformation. Waiting with expectancy during tough seasons is part of that, as we already talked about. Building habits of waiting like the Sabbath help us be present to our lives. This is God showing up and waiting. This is God giving us a story. It's God bringing us power and opening us up to transformation. I'm always so surprised when this works. Like, I do it, but I'm always surprised. Like, there was a time I asked for a little bit more time away from work. And I remember as I was on a silent retreat, it was just like a, maybe two or three days. It was the longest I'd ever done. God shared something with me. He's like, hey, do you see how the first years of this part of your life, they were focused on activity, good activity, like good work. And do you see how I basically slowed you down the equivalent of time in that next season so you would learn how to rest, so you could know what rest is. This is a season of my life where I learned more about spiritual formation. I started to Sabbath. I feel like the Lord say, see how they're the equal length of time? Like you needed one to get started, but you desperately needed the other to keep going. And now what I'm calling you to is a point of integration. I was like, oh no, Lord. He's like, yes. It's integration, it's doing both, resting and working, having some contemplation, but also having some, some movement, some work done with intention. And I felt like I wasn't gonna get that, just being worried about if I did enough that day, if I had enough time, if I had done something for someone that they approved of. But taking the time away, I felt like God gave me my story back, but told as he saw it. Build habits of Sabbath so you can step into the power that is in waiting. Last one, pausing. Waiting in moments of pausing, the places where our lives can open up to the Spirit's work, to rest, to power. Uh, a ministry partner in Uganda showed me how much work I needed to do in this arena. It was two weeks before we were going to that country. I was part of a trip uh, as an organizer. I'd never organized a trip like that before. And a few of people in the room were, were in the trip. And we had to have housing, like a place to sleep. Like I needed to know 
where that place was so I could direct a bus to get there two weeks away, didn't know the place, was very worried. But it wasn't my responsibility, it was my friends. And so as I called, I said, hey, are you concerned about this? Like, he's like, oh, I don't know. Like, you know, it is hard, but I'm working on it. Like, that was not that convincing to me. And then uh, later I get a call, maybe a few days later. I was like, Josh, I have this amazing story to tell you. Like, I was really, like, sad about not having a place, and it felt like I disappointed you on that call. I'm like, shoot. But I felt like I disappointed you, so I was getting uh, kind of depressed and, and anxious. So then I took a walk. And I wanted to just kind of be with God. And I was like, wait, huh? Like, you took a walk because you were sad that you couldn't get something done. Like, you didn't just call more people or work harder. And I'm like, this is, I don't know how to do this. What are you talking about? And he's like, as I took a walk, I had this idea. Because my boss wasn't there. I had this idea that maybe I should just look at the paper to see if there's anything, like any listing. I know it would be too expensive, but I had this sense as I took this walk that I should just do that. They look at the newspaper. They see a listing. And it's way too expensive. But remember, the boss isn't there, the boss that would make these calls. So he calls, they say, hey, you can come by and see it. It's this great neighborhood, really great place to have a ministry center, because it's not just a place to stay. This would be like, they would buy this, rent this, like for more than just our visit. And then as he goes, he sees this woman that's from his village in the north in Uganda. They're in the central area, but like she's from the north. They speak their local language. This is a region that doesn't really have a lot of faith exposure, but somehow she's Christian. And they start talking about their relationship with God. And then she says, like, why are you here? <laughs> He's like, well, I, I need this place. He's like, for what? For this ministry center. Well, you're, you're a cousin. You're a nephew. You're a son. So you get a special price. It was affordable again. He waited, had a practice of just walking, and then things worked out. So, whoo, that was a close one. But I don't think my friend saw it that way. That was just a way of practicing his faith. I've tried to do this before. There was a time when our family pastor search wasn't going so well. It was actually like, kind of unraveling. So I was like, let me do this. What my friend did, I'll walk in the woods. And as I walked, I thought of someone, this woman, Kiana Joseph, who had said no to this job a few different times. And I was like, you know what, let me just call again. Not directly no to me, but like I just knew in the world like this was a big no. And within a minute, as I picked up the phone, as I called, she's like, of course I'd be interested in that. I'm like, wait, how, how, how does this work? But apparently, being open to God and the Spirit in moments of pausing are where the Holy Spirit can come through with power, where God's favor can be released, where things we assume would go one way sometimes don't because we're stepping into power that's not our own. God brings power to our pausing. We can actually see that in the story of Pentecost. You know, the story where a fire comes down. People speak in other tongues and other languages as God gives them ability. And they start to confuse people around them. And in this confusion, we see uh, something happening. We see some people being open. You know, uh, they're, they're excited. They're amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. What happens when you're experiencing the power of God? And some people sneer, and other people are open. Which one do you focus on? Peter has a different choice, has a different moment. He stands with the eleven, and he raises his voice. He addresses them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. And listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. 
No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. He steps into this moment, a moment where there is only confusion, only loudness, and even a growing amount of cynicism. They're drunk. Is this what drunk people sound like? They're drunk. And I'd like to think that Peter is waiting a bit. I think I'm interpreting here, but that he's waiting a bit and stepping into a moment where something's coming back to him. I think it's a moment of courage and interpretation, but it's also a moment where he pulls up the scripture. I think maybe from other habits he has of maybe memorizing scripture or hearing it a lot. And this is what that scripture says. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Shall be saved. There's this moment, like a present moment, where there's a pausing and an opening for something else to come and break in. Jesus sometimes calls it the kingdom of God that breaks in in a moment. Almost like it's just cutting a sliver into our reality. But we have to be open to that pausing and practice it ourselves. Seems part of like why we need to interpret our stories, right? With this hopeful narrative. Part of why we need to build weekly practices of rest, but also why we need to be very attentive to what this moment could do for us. Those moments, I think, are where we start to see God move. I had one of those moments this past week. I was at uh, my daughter's uh, preschool, and my daughter has a new habit uh, of continuing to ask me to hug her when we're about to leave, like over and over and over again. So I think I had done maybe like four or five, and then I like closed the door, and then I saw her, and she's like, hug me. I'm like, okay. And I kind of felt something, like kind of lean into it. It was a weird moment. So I said yes. I came back in, and she hugged me. And then something else happened that was really strange. This other little girl who I see sometimes every day, she's like, can I get a hug too? This is not Zoe, this is not my other daughter. Like this is just another girl. And I'm like, okay. And then she hugs me. And I walk out like so happy and bemused. I'm like, I've gotta tell Tina about this. Like this is so funny to me. So I'm on my way home, you know. I'm like, oh man, I'm late. Joy like literally asked me to hug her all the time. Like don't really have time for this, but let me step into, again, this narrative of, like, I got to rest. I also knew the sermon was coming. Sometimes we have a sermon coming on a certain thing. You're like, okay, I should practice waiting. It's okay, right? I need help. I need any help I can get. <laughs> and for me, that's just a really important thing. I mean, I was talking about my parents and all this stuff. Like, when you have a history of enslavement in your past, you're a little prone, a little more, at least for me, I've learned. I'm like, I need to be free. Like, I can, like, do something different here. So I just was like, let me just sit on the porch. thought I was calling Tina. I did not call Tina. I called my mom. I think it's like the whole like Tina, mom, mom, Tina is a mom. Some, maybe I was just busy, I don't know. Call my mom. And on the phone is another family member 
uh, a person where there's a little bit of estrangement, someone that, uh, like, I was surprised to be talking to. And I all of a sudden realized, okay, I'm putting some moments together, right? Like, this little girl hugged me. That's what I wanted to tell Tina about. Otherwise, I wouldn't have called her. I thought it was going to be a two-minute call. That's why I did it. I called the wrong number. Now I see this, like, other family member. And Marilyn's like, I get it now. I get it. Like, this other family member's on the line. I'm like, I don't think it's going to be a two-minute call anymore. And I think that's okay. Like, I think there's, like, this deeper invitation that's there. And I make this joke about this courageous move this person had made at a point in their life. They actually moved, like, physical cities. I was like, hey, you're going to go back there? And they kind of laughed about it. And all of a sudden, I felt this story kind of unfold. I was like, oh, I actually think I need to talk to that person about the courage that it took for them to move there and how that courage is part of their story. They actually demonstrate that courage in other moves and how there's still a way for them to demonstrate it. I don't think it was like a word of knowledge. Sometimes, you know, it's like God says something. I think it was just actually a spirit of encouragement. I was like, I think I'm just supposed to encourage this person. And I actually just told them that story. Like, you were courageous here as you relocated your whole life. It didn't go how you wanted it to, but that same courage that you had, it's actually present in other parts of your story. Do you see how it's connected to things you did before? And I think that means that you have moment to be courageous again, even though you've waited for years in between. Like, it's just been a hard season of waiting. But I think you have that courage in you, and your story isn't over, and there's more for you. By the end of the call, this person's crying, my mom's crying, I'm about to cry. Like, we're in a different moment together because we leaned in a little bit more. I know for me, I'm building habits and capacity to say, I think I need to be present here. I hope my work uh, could wait. It did. I think that's okay. Like, I'm alive. I think we're good here, right? Like, but I didn't know that then as I was entering. I was like, uh, how do I do this? But I just sort of gave it up to a moment. And I wonder for you how many of you are being challenged to do the same thing, to step into practices of waiting. We have to give a little bit of control up, a little bit more vulnerability, and yet the Spirit of the Lord can come. One last verse, and the worship team can come up. This is Psalm 33, 20 through 22. I think it's what the Lord has for us today. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and shield. Our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. A few invitations, and I think we'll have our own pausing moment. Practice. Practice waiting for God to speak something about your story that's new. Maybe you feel different as you do that. Maybe it's emotionally, physically, or spiritually. Practice ceasing on the Sabbath and waiting for the Lord to give you reflection on where the Lord was present in your week or beyond. And practice pausing as the Spirit leads to wait or to enter into a different moment. So as the worship team comes up, I'm going to invite us to a time of pausing together corporately. We've had some people praying for the service. They have some senses and invitations, but I feel like God is speaking right now and can do the work to speak to us. So let's wait for God to do that work amongst us. Holy Spirit, would you come? Speak to us, Lord.
Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us. Fill us with your power of your spirit. For those of you who want more, I just invite you to open up your hands. Maybe it's more of power so you can tell your story differently. Maybe it's more power so you can have a habit filled with the spirit. Maybe it's so you can lean into moments of pausing. But if you want more, just open up your hands. The Holy Spirit is generous. Holy Spirit, would you come? Come and be here. Come and fill us. The word that I keep hearing that I feel like is an invitation of what the Lord wants to do is keep or kept. I feel like the Lord wants to keep us, to gather us in. And the sense I'm getting is that there's some folk that, um, that want a sense of closeness with God. I'm not sure what the last season has been or what waiting has looked like for you, but there's something about being kept in God's love, kept and being uh, carried. for some people in the room. And there's language in the scriptures that the Lord clothes us with compassion. He clothes us and gives us a covering. And I feel like that's what the Lord just wanted to do today, just bring the Holy Spirit as a covering. We see in Pentecost that it comes as a tongue of fire. We also see different metaphors for the Spirit. I feel like today the Spirit just wants to cover and kind of layer over and so as you want that, I just pray that even in your own heart, you would just feel right now the Holy Spirit descend and layer who the Spirit is onto you. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now that your Spirit be closer than any kind of anxiety, that your Spirit would be closer than any kind of depression, that your Spirit would be closer than any kind of anxious thought or wandering, a worry that you're enough, and that you would just receive this layering as a second skin as something you can grow comfortable in. Part of what marks Pentecost is not that it's the first time the Spirit appears, that's not true, but it's the first time we kind of see, besides Jesus, a human that's comfortable with the Spirit, a human that's comfortable receiving the Spirit's power. There's this language that even says the Holy Spirit can possess, can possess us possess us. I'm going to ask us to stand as we get ready to move into worship, to stand together just as one. Because I do feel like the Lord wants to wash something over us. I'm going to invite Michelle to share a few words. I feel like the Lord wants to be heavy with the Spirit. So there's a way we can even feel the Spirit tangibly today. As the Spirit layers something over us, taking away something that we need to be taken, that needs to be taken off, and covering with us something, something good.